Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Abstract Podcast. Today, we are recording episode seven. We're going to look at Dr. Seuss books, racist, question mark. Um, Russell Moore's more to the point regarding cancel culture, a firing squad in South Carolina, and another stimulus check. All this and more coming up next. Obviously, not in that order. Probably in the reverse order of that, actually. But before we begin today, Colin, a little did you know, a little DYN. Give it to me. There is a cow bison hybrid, and it's called a beefalo. <laughs> not making this up. According to RD.com, you can even buy its meat in 21 states. Beefalo. Beefalo. Yeah. So I imagine this this is like the true Buffalo Wild Wings. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I don't think uh. that actually makes any sense. But yeah, I guess you can mix or you can crossbreed cows and bison and make beefaloes. It's better than would the opposite be Kyson? Yeah, I always wonder. Uh. You get you get the name of these things. Like yeah. um for instance, we have a dog that's um a Shih Tzu and Poodle mixed, and it's called a Sheep Who. Sheepoo. But it's important that you don't rephrase that the other way. Right. Yeah. So. Order matters. Order does matter. Today we are enjoying another sparkling beverage as we record episode seven. Today we have raspberry acai from AHA. How would you rate the raspberry acai? I give it a six out of ten for tastefulness and tactfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what ACI tastes like, That's but it tastes like raspberry. So. I've always thought you said a KI. You can know. invite someone over and tell them you want to have a KI and Quiona. Quiona. Quinoa. Quinoa. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> and then that would just show how uncool you were. You yeah. don't pronounce any words right. All right, what are we starting with? Um, Let's start with today a stimulus check went through. Yeah, um, that's that's for exciting news. A a lot of money, whopping. Um, I and I feel like I have it here. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember the exact. Uh, 1.9 trillion dollars. Not million. Not, not billion. billion. Trillion. That's a lot of money. So million is six zeros. Billion is nine zeros. Trillion. You're in the double digit zeros. Twelve zeros. That's so much money. Why? What are we doing this for? What's it going towards? I think so, I have a thing here. Yeah, so this is, again, coronavirus aid. Because um, when it passed, so it passed. Actually, today, as we record it, it just passed in the um, house two, three hours ago. Wow. Um, so it has not. It's it's fresh news. That's right. You don't always get that on podcasts. That's right. Even though you won't hear this till after you've probably so, known that. Again, but. you won't you won't be getting this on podcast. <laughs> The bill will send checks of $1,400 to many American adults, including an additional $1,400 per dependent. Mm -hmm. My friends, if you have children, blessed be your name because you're about to get a lot of money. This is a lot of money. We got got the first one, which is $600, and then we got the second one, which was $600. Yeah. And now we're getting $1,400. So before we get into the implications of this, 
good or bad or otherwise, what would you do? What are you going to do with your 1400 and then perhaps more fun, what would you do if you didn't have to do what you have to do? So let's let's <laughs> let's establish a responsible scenario and an irresponsible scenario. So I'll do responsible first. So my responsible first, which is probably what we'll end up doing with it, is it'll pretty much all go. Uh, there will be a little chunk that will be spent to buy a door that is needed for me to do um, to transition to take out a window in my house and put a door there so it can lead to a deck. Okay. Um, so you don't want to just climb through the window. To that's the right. Yes. yes, we're gonna try to avoid that. Um, so that's what's gonna go for, and then it's also gonna be put into a savings uh, pot for a new truck because I totaled mine yeah. in the winter. So I'm slowly trying to build that up, um, and then I'll probably take a small segment of that because our escape needs new tires. So. Oh, it's like your fire escape or uh, no nope, Ford Escape? Yes, interesting. It's in need of tires, so that's okay. probably where ours will that's go. Fun. Okay, well then, while you think of the ideal situation, I'll I'll try to go over the realistic situation for me. Fourteen hundred dollars. I should probably take a chunk and pay off some school debt. Mm-hmm. I could almost cut it in half, but I probably won't do all of that. We need new tires on our car. Yeah, two new tires. So should probably do that. And, yeah, other than that, I don't think we really have any pressing needs. So maybe, like, pay the rent or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, ideal situation. Ideal situation, (laughs) we have an Airbnb on the Northern California coast for, like, two weeks with surfboards rented, and we do absolutely nothing. So you're putting it into a vacation. I'm putting it in a vacation. Interesting. Yep. That's That's a great idea. My ideal situation... Fourteen hundred bucks. I would probably buy some. Oh man, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I know. Well, and you, actually, two of them, right? Because we're both married. You're gonna get three. Three. Plus, Dude, well, what, and see the thing. What you need to do is you need to put you and your wife's to responsible use, but then you need to blow your kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was actually thinking about maybe using his for his little treehouse for him, yeah. but <laughs> could blow it too. Um, but yeah, no, because and, and the funny thing is, is because because Brooks was born after the last tax. Uh, session, so mm-hmm. he's not listed on our taxes. So when we actually file taxes, we will get all the stimulus checks that. So twelve hundred more mm-hmm. and fourteen hundred. Well, no, because he was born after the first. I was just six hundred. So yeah. two thousand even. Yep, not bad. So that, but also within this bill that I was looking at is they moved the child tax credit from two thousand dollars to three thousand dollars. So so you're also getting a thousand off your taxes. Yes. Yep. So or at least a thousand more in tax credit. So yeah, it it uh, definitely had a. I mean, we can talk more about how we feel about this or think sure. about it but okay so i would probably get yes irresponsible use yeah i really want a gimbal which is a thing for your camera oh okay. it's like oh, a yeah, gyroscope yeah. you hold on a stick and your camera like you can do perfect panning shots i thought that was an irish guitar when i saw that there yeah but i think that's called something else i would probably also buy a new lens i just probably buy fun fun photography stuff yeah maybe like some new clothes and i would take my wife out to a really nice dinner because you know that'd be nice i'm thinking of a bazooki also a trip oh bazooki yeah that's a gimbal those aren't really close enough okay but uh so what does this actually mean for the country i actually am don't know if i have the energy towards the towards the bottom of the people you would want to ask for that (laughs) from my brief reading around it sounds like long term with the trends that were in our economics currently and with the end of this virus 
coming ever closer um, that, you know, potentially it was a very bad idea. <laughs> but, again, I'm not one to yeah. know a whole lot about economics. I mean, it is a lot of money. Outside I'm, my realm. I'm curious why this one is more than twice as much yeah. as the other ones. Especially as when we, we have, seem to be nearing the end of the virus. Yes, speaking of which, we should share this because it brought joy to my heart yesterday. Um, for the first time, and I don't know how long, it was this really positive headline by the CDC in which they posted that for fully vaccinated individuals, they do not need to be masked up. They do not need to be social distanced. You can even hug. And it's basically like if both grandparents have got the vaccine, both doses, or unless single dose, if it's Johnson Johnson, then you can go up and you can hug your grandkid because your grandkid's at low risk and you've been vaccinated and you can go give them a big full on hug. No masks, wow. no social distance. And it was quite wonderful to, to read a headline like that again. Yeah, no doubt. So, um, you know, I had this weird encounter today. Um, I was with, I, I kind of popped into an office, a little unexpected, and I was asking someone about a book. And they just stood up and didn't think to put a mask on and was like talking close to me. And it was just so weird. I mean, like, I'm around my wife all the time without a mask. But, right. like, a stranger? Yeah. Like, I wasn't scared I was going to get the virus. I think I'm immune because I've already had it. Yeah. But I was just like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what to do with so it. so weird. Like, it's oh weird how, like, it alters those. Because yeah. I've even found, like, in movies or something, like, yeah, you they guys, social distance. Y'all are like, too oh, close. Wait, wait. <laughs> so this, this, uh, this bill that just got passed to the Senate and the House, I'm just going to read through the bullet points of of what it's going through because 1.9 trillion is an incredible amount of yes, money. Yes, it is. So stimulus checks for people, um, unemployment benefits. There's child tax credit expansion, which I think mm-hmm. you highlighted. Earned income income tax credit boost. I don't know what that means. State and local governments. The bill includes 350 billion for states, territories, and tribal and local governments. Funding for vaccines and testing. Uh, looks like 47.8 billion around that money for education 130 billion for K through 12 schools and 39.6 billion for higher education pension bailouts 86 billion to bail out an unexpected 185 multi-employer union pension plans that are about to collapse restaurants the restaurant industry industry will receive 28.6 billion uh, aid structured in grants that won't have to be repaid, Affordable Care Act changes, small business loans, and rent help. I wonder how you get that rent help. Hmm. So that's what's in the bill that just got passed. Um, I wonder, was it partisan voting? Were Repu- Fairly, yeah. So they got it. I thought they had to convince like 10 Republicans to get a bill through. Uh, I think they did. It was pretty much down... Um, Pretty much down party lines. Uh, obviously, in the House, they easily had that one. Um, but in the Senate, I am a little... that I know it was close to down, but someone had to... A couple had to cross over. Are you looking up the voting record? I was trying to. But I don't know if... I, I, I forget what I saw. Um, yeah, I, it's going to take too long to pop up. I'm on the United States Senate site right now. Yeah, sure. All right, so moving on to our next segment. Maybe before we do, just take a minute. What is uh? We're about halfway through the semester. Mm-hmm. What's your? What are your weeks looking like? What's your level of sanity? Your 
So mine's been a little bit better the last week or two because I have started phasing out with teaching and phasing into more working on like senior project, Mm -hmm. things like that, Um, some papers. So that's been kind of nice to shift my focus a little bit. I feel less tired and I feel like I have more time on my hands. So to get stuff done Mm -hmm. where it's not just like try to keep up. Where do you go to get your stuff done? Do you just do it at the house or do you go somewhere? I mainly, like, if I do it, if I do anything at the house, I'll do it, yeah, uh, either in the kitchen or at my desk, depends on what time of night it is. But then I, I've also got planning periods, things like that during the day, um, mm-hmm. that I actually have my day structure where I can get some stuff done during that as well. That's so, nice. Yeah, I'm, I, uh, it's been a nice last week and a half for me. So it's going to get really busy the next three, four weeks as the final crunch happens, but it's kind of nice to have, like, I feel like I have, like, this two-week window to kind of breathe for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. How about you? I, I think I'm as busy as I've been all semester, and I, it's fun to be able to take an hour or so here and just yeah talk about stuff and record. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty slammed. Statement you, of faith. Yeah, as you said, you're working due, on your statement of faith. Yeah, he just extended it, so we actually have until Friday, next Friday of next week. Yeah. So maybe next week on the podcast, I guess I'll just be wrapping it up if I haven't turned it in already, because it was supposed to be a due on Monday. But right now, I'm really working on a few different issues. The nature of hell, what happens to people, the unsaved. So what are the options there? You have eternal conscious torment. You can go with universalism that no one goes to hell really or annihilationism. So working on fleshing out that view, um, predestination and election. That's a hard one for me. Mm. Definitely raised in the very Arminian um, free will. Everyone has a choice. There are some scriptures that definitely seem to indicate right. predestination. So you know the, the very language of elections used. Yeah, yeah. Romans nine for knowledge. Yeah, it's yep. kind of hard. Yeah, to Romans re- nine. Yeah, re- reckon with if you're yeah. not in that boat, which I'm not really, to be honest. And then, um, yeah, the nature of scripture, what we think about inerrancy and so doctrine. Pretty, pretty minor stuff. <laughs> yeah, just. I know. I was, I was sitting. It's just. It feels like it's so much bigger. I mean, it's like we're just undergrads. Like we don't. We don't know this stuff. Like we're just trying to figure out what's good to believe. But like, it's funny. I was just sitting in my professor's office this morning trying to get some help, and this is someone who's been talking about this stuff for twenty years. And so I almost feel like I, I'm a little timid. Like putting forward a view. It's like, am I allowed to believe this, or does this yeah. make me a heretic? And then right. He's like very generous and calm and like well that is a bit unorthodox and unevangelical so you would need some good support if you're gonna believe that <laughs> ah. so yeah i've got myself a desk reserved up in the library camped out and yeah got a lot of systematic theologies for but sure it's good i think it's good it helps me figure out what i believe and yeah that's good yeah it's good to distill the stuff down but i on the flip side this is stuff you know a lot of these issues have been worked on debated for the very, I mean, we church fathers from the two and three hundreds, we find the same kind of yeah. debates going on yeah. actively. Um, That's why. So, yeah, I think the predestination election one took on a new form around the Protestant Reformation. It seems mm-hmm. to me, um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. We talk about that some other time. Yeah, maybe maybe next week once I have all the answers, yeah. maybe come back and tell people yeah, what's right and wrong. The answers yeah, that'd be good. All right, so what do you want to talk about next? We have some fun stuff here. Do you want to do Dr. Seuss or the Firing Squad? Let's talk about the Firing Squad. So fun. Came across this. Um, this is going on in the South Carolina um, 
judicial branch, I guess, whatever you call it. Um, but the senators in South Carolina have voted to add the firing squad as an alternative method of execution if the state can't put inmates to death via lethal injection. Okay, clarify for this. Yeah. They voted to do this or to hear the bill? So they voted to hear the bill a second time, uh-huh. um, which is, yeah, so they voted 32 to 11 to give the bill a second hearing, which they're hearing, I thought it was this week. Uh, but it's expected to pass. Um, Governor really? Governor McMaster has voiced full support for it. For firing squads. For, for firing squad, and it is highly expected to pass. So this just seems barbaric to me. And it, what the interesting thing is, like it's it's primarily Republicans, but there's it's being also pushed by some Democrats as well. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Like I'm not quite sure how it breaks down. Like what makes you think? Well, okay. So a little backdrop to it. Why? So lethal injection has been um, what they've moved towards since um, electrocution is just kind of, they don't always yeah, work. It's kind of barbaric. It's kind of barbaric. Not good. It can um, be very torturous. So the last painful. one, I think, I'm trying to remember if it was lethal injection or um, electric chair was in 2008 in South Carolina. I forget which one. Um, but they've moved towards doing lethal injections, but you have to get the chemicals from a pharmaceutical company, and pharmaceutical companies have stopped selling them to prisons because it goes against their statement of practice like to um, do no harm to do no harm basically yeah <laughs> right. and so they have so it's really hard to get you know the the right chemicals to perform a, a lethal execution uh, or a lethal injection execution so and, according oh sorry yeah go for it well i'll just say according to this article that you put in the google document by newsweek it says under current law executions in the state of south carolina must be carried out by lethal injection unless an inmate chooses electrocution. Mm-hmm. But South Carolina corrections officials have struggled to procure lethal injection drugs for years, right. forcing the state to halt executions if inmates don't choose the electric chair. And, I mean, who would, to be honest? And So, so tasked with finding a way to restart yeah. executions, state senators voted in favor of, of a bill that would make the electric chair the default method of execution if lethal injection drugs are not available. An amendment to the bill added the firing squad as an alternate option. So when we say alternate option, does that mean the prisoners get to choose? Like, do you yes. want to be shot full of holes or would you like to be electrocuted? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And it was interesting just hearing um, firsthand from some of the senators that were debating this and deciding what to do and voting on it. Um, the the logic for um, pro-firing squad typically – was along the lines of, well, it's actually um, more of a humane and sure way to be sure they die and that justice is served quickly um, and that you don't you have less potential for anything going wrong and it's relatively painless. Um, so those were, again, there was no format to what a firing squad would be, but, you know, typically it's, you know, eight gunmen, whatever. Um so I don't know. I honestly, at first, when I first saw the headline, I thought it was a joke um, or some sort of satire. <laughs> right. But as I dug in, it's it's actually not. So um, we're both from from South Carolina. If if you could put a letter on the governor's desk, how would you feel about this? I would. I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant or you know crass, but I would remind him that we're living in the year 2021. I would think that lining up people with guns to shoot an individual because we've deemed them not fit for society anymore. Seems like maybe we're still in the old West. Like, holy cow. 
I'm also just reading here that in 2015, Utah restores the firing squad yeah. as a legal yep. method of execution. And that's why they're actually Re- looking at Utah's model as some <laughs> for some guidance. Requiring its use if the state is unable to obtain the necessary lethal injection within 30 days of a scheduled execution. Utah is the only state besides Nevada to have ever used the firing squad, and now possibly South Carolina. I don't know. I've actually just recently came up. I, I forget what I was reading. Um, actually, it was in Romans and Galatians where Paul talks about the authorities don't bear the sword in vain. And so mm-hmm. how we should um, think about that when it comes to capital punishment. I guess this is something I'm doing some soul searching on and thinking about. I'm not comfortable with the idea of capital punishment. But I think it also, I don't know, we could even we could talk through mm-hmm. this and I want to hear what you would tell the governor. But... um. I just it's hard for me to understand how a Christian could support capital punishment because you're deeming someone no longer fit for life on this earth and that all the chances are used up. There can be no more redemption for mm-hmm. you. What's more, we're going to stand you in front of a bunch of M16s and shoot you full of holes. That just mm-hmm. seems kind of barbaric to me. But um, you know, from Paul's perspective, he's saying that, well, I think he's saying the government is God's agent on earth and they possess the power and the authority to punish wrongdoers. And like with capital punishment is one mm-hmm. of those ways. But, you know, it, it, I, I think what it did for me, and I, I really want to hear what you think about this, is when you hear Paul use that language, in my mind, it removes any possibility for the state ever claiming any kind of claim to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like when Paul's talking about Rome and bearing the sword and that they're the, the officials that God has in place, they're not Christians. They're the state. And so it's right. almost like the state and Christianity are just diametrically opposed. Like, no, we could never do that to people, but there is the government and they can do that. Right. And so it's like, then what do you do as a Christian? Like, can you still vote for things that you want to happen in government, even though that's that's not what mm-hmm. you would do for sure? Or, I mean, for me, it just it, it takes the notion of a Christian government just out of the question. Yeah. But... What do you think? Yeah, well, it's an interesting question. I, yeah, in general, how I think about this is in that same passage in, in Romans 13, where Paul's giving basically the authority or, or, or talking of the authority of the state. To me, it seems that he is making the argument that the role of the state is to establish and upkeep an ordered and just society, kind of uh, damage control um, with us being fallen image bearers. There's a lot of disorder and chaos that we're prone to entropy. Um, and so it seems that the role of the state then is to do its best to maintain order, um, but maintain order to the ends in which the church can best do its work, its its partnership in the redeeming uh, or the redemption of all things through, through Christ. Um, and so it would seem to me that with that rationality, what I think Paul's arguing there then that the capital punishment could not be supported by Christians, for one, for your reason, just because it, it seems clear that, that even if we understood that as a state role to do, Christians could never support that. That that would be one reading that I could um, understand. But then on a different perspective, Christians couldn't support that in my mind. And why I don't support the death penalty is because it is the state taking on too large of a burden for itself that it's not meant to care carry in which it actually puts someone beyond um, the work of the church which is caring which is Christ's body on earth mm-hmm. carrying out his purposes um, being present to the world so you don't think that will. 
Paul is give, is writing that they should have the authority to kill people? Okay, so I think he could be, but I think, so I don't know if it's, I would necessarily say it's a one-size-fits-all thing, but I think Paul is giving them kind of the authority there, but I don't know that he's giving them the authority to kill them uh, or, or for capital punishment. I, mean, I think he's saying, like, the state's going to be the state, and that's just the way things are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily endorsing that for the state because I think how to me what it seems that the way he understands the state is to function as to best um, order society for the church to work in the world which if it is actively but, killing okay, but like right there I yeah. just I don't quite get that because it seems like so often especially in the first century the church and the state I mean the church was not at all aided by what the state was doing in fact quite the opposite mm-hmm. they would crucify you right and in uh, I think it was right before, or maybe after Paul established the church in Rome, was it Claudius just got this idea that let's kick all the Jews out of Rome, and so he just kicked them all out, and then right. once he died, they all came swarming back in. Right, and that's where I think like like for what you're saying, the church and the the state do run in opposition very frequently, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm saying. I think even within Paul, there is that tension where they're pushing against each other, um, but I I think. You know, the ideal, we talk about ideal government or governance. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think it's just that if uh, that government in and of itself is um, necessarily carrying out appropriate justice, because it also talks about, because Paul talks about how the government is there to kind of create order. Yeah, um, and we're told and, to obey and, them. And to uphold justice, and we're yeah. told to obey them. Um, and so inherent in that would be obviously obeying them insofar as they are in line with God's will for the world. Um, so in that aspect, it's it's complicated. But I think for Paul, the way I would understand it is he is making an argument based on that the government is a most just government when it's creating the best conditions for the church mm-hmm. to work in the world. And I think when the, ch- when the state is executing its citizens, it is putting those beyond the reach of the church, yeah. um, which is a function of what I would say an unjust society. In in Genesis, humankind is told to make order mm-hmm. and and kick chaos out and expand the boundaries of order. That's the human goal. Right. And then Paul seems to see the um the state as some some agent of that or yeah of, of you know, rewarding the mm-hmm. one who does good and punishing the one who does wrong. But, you know, Paul also is probably quoting Jesus in Romans, and it's really clear what Jesus thinks about this. He says, mm-hmm. you love your enemies. I mean, he just he turns the whole thing upside down. Right. Like, it's not reciprocal at all. And so I maybe it's fair to say that God's will for his people and God's will for the government are not the same thing. Right. And I, I think this is actually, that might sound obvious, but I think it's a really helpful distinction to make. And I think it keeps us from getting tripped up on these ideas of, of like having a Christian nation, having an right. America that's you know take America back for God, as Whitehead would say, because the visions just aren't the same. I mean, your government just can't really love people like the right. followers of Jesus are supposed to. And I think, like these, th- or even I even want to go farther, or even be founded on Christian principles, mm-hmm. because Christian principles are loving your enemies, right. and you just can't do that on right. a national level. Yeah, and and I would agree, um, but I think like if we're back to talking about the death penalty, 
in my view, even if we do separate, uh, because Christians have throughout the centuries separated on on the topic of the death penalty yeah. mm-hmm. theolo- for theological reasons, I do think there should be a level of uniting around the practical problems that are with the dental death penalty, the amount of acquittals post murder. Yeah, that um, is or, concerning. Or post, right. yeah, People post who execution. Get, get executed and then later, oh, that was yeah. the wrong guy. <laughs> and and the fact that or girl. historically. Um, and even in how those trends have continued some into current day is um, it it is disproportionately um, African-American and yeah. that's not necessarily always accurate. The level of exonerations for them are much higher. Um, so I don't know from just going through some of the basic data for that, it it's troubling if um, and well and and the amount of if you are the ability of what kind of lawyer you have access to can matter yeah, a if you're gonna, whole lot. So yeah, it doesn't matter if you're black or white in that way. It's poor or rich. on your ability to make an argument. Yeah. In the United States, since 1970s... No, that can't be right. Wow. Since 1976, 1,532 people have been executed. I didn't think it would be nearly that much. But that's what it says on Wikipedia. And um, wow. only 1.2% of those have been women. <laughs> Somewhat not surprisingly. Wow. All right. Enough about the death penalty mm. and dying and death. But if you do live in South Carolina and care about it, it might be something worth writing your leaders about. Yes. Because um, it does, it does, this is a bit disconcerting to me that, yeah, that we're headed know, back in that direction. Yeah, you just sometimes get the sense that you're moving backwards. Yeah. And this is one of the times I really get the sense you're moving backwards. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a positive, a positive move, but. Let's keep moving on. Let's okay. talk about Dr. Seuss for a little bit. Yeah. This was all over the news last oh, week. Um, so first off, the headlines have been fairly misleading, depending on which one <laughs> you read. So it's not that he has been canceled. Well, let's um, give a little bit of... Let's give a little backdrop. Yeah. yeah. Set ahead. this up for us. Well, is there this... I think I even heard about it from friends before I even seen it in the news. And it's like, Dr. Seuss is being canceled. They're just coming after... Everything that we love, and even now Dr. Seuss is being called a racist. That's kind of the the vibe that I got. But it's not really what happened at all. So um, it turns out that actually Dr. Seuss, who is not alive anymore, I think it's his son who kind of runs his— Yeah, it's an heir of his who yeah. is actually running the company, and the company actually made the decision. Yeah, they decided that, what is it, six of his books yeah. um, contain racist tropes and messages— and depictions of people that weren't really great mm-hmm. people groups. And so they decided to just pull them and not publish them anymore. And uh, that sparked a lot of outrage. Uh, I thought it was just really interesting. I'm not sure where this came from. One of the articles you linked, I guess. Of the 200 and, or sorry, 2,240 identified human characters in the 50 Dr. Seuss books, there are only 45 characters of color, representing 2% of the total number of human characters. So, two percent of the people in his books are white or not white. Of the forty-five characters who are not white, forty-three of them, forty-three out of forty-five, exhibited behaviors and appearances that align with harmful and stereotypical Orientalist tropes. Now that's obviously subjective, right? But <laughs> I think it's pretty telling. Forty-three of the forty-five exhibited behaviors and appearances that align with harmful and stereotypical Orientalist tropes. The remaining two characters are identified in the text as African and both align with the theme of anti-blackness. 
It's also important to note that each of the non-white characters is male and that they are all presented in subservient, exotified, or dehumanized roles, especially in their relation to white characters. I did want to say, before we kind of get into this, yeah. that um, last night I was sitting in my office and listening to some music, and I glanced up at the bookshelf, and I seen a couple of Dr. Seuss books up there, and so I was like, oh, yeah. just the season. So I pulled one down and just paged through it while listening to music. Which one was it? Was a, it was a book about tongue twisters. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know what it was, it was like how to say stuff. Okay. And anyway, it, it just it really struck me that, because I kept I'm looking at these characters, and I didn't see any non-white yeah. characters, but I was like, to be honest, all of these are presented in pretty strange and just weird off-color ways. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm not discounting this at all, but I am saying that everyone in the Dr. Seuss book is presented as kind of weird. That was my first instinct, too, when I saw it. I was like, yeah. I just kind of raised my eyebrow because like, that was his whole thing. It was basically creating caricatures of all kinds of people. Right. And so, again, I'm not saying that to dismiss any of this because we'll talk more about it then. But I did find it. Um, I did find that kind of. That was my knee-jerk reaction to it. But tell me what you thought. I, I threw in three pictures um, from yeah. Dr. Seuss books, from from some of the six that, that were canceled. Um, and so one's of a, of a Chinese man, one's of more Oriental men, and then one's of Africans. And these pictures are in our show notes if you want to check them out then. Um, and you can let us know what you think. But I'm curious to hear what you thought, because the one that really got me that I was like, uh, okay, I kind of see the point, was the one with the Africans um, in on, on the bottom picture. What did you think of some of the pictures? Well, I'm really just looking at them uh, specifically now, so I'll just give you a running commentary. Honestly, if there was ever pictures that are hard to describe what's going on, yeah. <laughs> it is these. Yeah. So you have two um, dark-skinned characters. You know, it's never really clear who's a person and who's like, Right. Something else. And they've got little skirts on, like very um Yeah, they have tribal. like little hula skirts. They've yeah. got their hair kind of in a strange ponytail thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some very exotic looking birds that they seem to be Holding balancing on a, on a stick on the back of an animal, and there's a hill in the background. So <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Could you I'm, tell me what's going on? Do you know what's going on here? I don't even know this story that much. Um I was reading just a little bit of commentary. What this story is, is it's basically looking at, um, it's basically showing a bunch of different things from different places, I think. Okay. I forget what the book is called. Right. Um, but it's basically, I, I think, the the point that was in contention for this picture was you have two, the only dark-skinned people in the book, or people, I don't even know what you call them. Well, it looks to be these are the only dark-skinned people ever written. Because there was only two, right? And it might be these two. And so they're they're dark, and they have. I mean, the faces kind of look monkey-ish. They definitely do. Look um, they're wearing like little skirt things that would look very tribal. Yeah, they're not clothed in anything except a skirt. Yeah. So, if that's that's the only representation of blackness in this, and right. maybe all of Doctor Seuss land, in the anthology. Um. So. Yeah, not a flattering representation no. of African Americans. And then the other ones you've got, <laughs> the one I was like, well, if you wanted, it kind of reminded me of you know a more colonial or imperial imperialism kind of. Are you vibe talking about the one, on the, the, the cage thing? Yeah, the one, in the yeah. cage. So you've got what looks to be a white character standing on top of a huge cage, 
in which is a very large beast, and then this cage is being carried on the heads of three oriental individuals who are walking kind of like in a monk-like pose with their hands mm-hmm. together. Kind of Buddhisty, maybe? Possibly on roller skates. <laughs> and so like they're definitely the ones who are carrying the cage, and then the white person yeah. standing on top with a gun. It looks like he's the hero who's captured this beast. Right. And then in the other picture, you have an oriental figure. Chinese looking with a little Chinese <laughs> he's got hat. Chopsticks and a bowl of rice, and he's on roller skates as I well. Think. Or cleats. Hard to tell. Oh, those could be shoes as well. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't know, man. Yeah. But, yeah. So I think I think probably the more interesting question. Yeah. Because it's Dr. Seuss's people decided to pull these. Right. Right. So I don't know. Is it up to us to say whether whatever is harmful? But I think the more pressing question is when we find this kind of stuff in children's literature, mm-hmm. do we cancel it? Do we pull it? Or do we not? And I think my question, and I want to ask you this, is is there a difference between um, racist tropes in Dr. Seuss and racial slurs in like Huck Finn or these other like prize works of literature like um, Mockingbird? Oh, To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. something yeah. like that. Versus children's literature like Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Um, so those are all good questions. So I would start with with um, children's literature. So this is my opinion as an educator who works with young children a lot. As an expert. Not an expert, but as someone who's in my professional least, opinion. Um, this, this would be in my professional feeling, professional opinion, because I was actually dealing with some of these exact same things with racial stereotypes and racial slurs being thrown around um, that I was having to work through this with students today and and i think this is this is this is my opinion here kids are talking about that stuff it is the air in which they breathe Mm -hmm. it's the water they swim in when you say that stuff so when i say that stuff what i mean is that racial awareness is high right um which also means that um, unhealthy racial awareness (laughs) is very high as well and so like these slurs are coming in and and kids very much take the thing like, ah, oh, it's just I'm just saying I'm just giving them a hard time, whatever yeah. else. Take that that road with it. But what I'm finding is that the way it's legislated is just kind of um, race has become such a charged topic to talk about mm-hmm. that every teacher I know of goes a hundred miles away the other direction from having a conversation in the classroom besides saying no quit right now mm-hmm. you're going to the principal whatever else mm-hmm. if you utter anything racial and i i think it's a it's um unfortunate because there's a failure of discipleship as far as even from a secular perspective about how to just think, training just training yeah. about how to think better about race and so for me i i'm still great with um like i would read my own kids this dr seuss book but we might pause Mm-hmm. and talk about, okay, notice what you're seeing here. <laughs> right. um, is this how you typically see them? What is, yeah. kind of images do these conjure up for you? What kind of Anyway, and, and processing through that. Um, and so I take the same approach with, I, I'm not a literature guru um, or teacher, but the same would be true of, of Huck Finn and To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. um, in, in my opinion. And that's like we talked about just even a couple weeks ago um, with the guy who was fired from the New York Times because he used the N-word while in a conversation of trying to understand how to use the N-word correctly or, or, or not or in what context the word's mm-hmm. offensive. Because you do see it in Huck Finn mm-hmm. or in To Kill a Mockingbird. Or any various 
piece yeah. of music. And, and I think when the context doesn't matter for how you use the word, yeah. or in this case, the context doesn't matter what the picture is um, or how it's used, it, it seems to be um, fairly, I don't know, bizarre. And I, it makes you wonder where to even move forward with that. Um, so I'm in favor of keeping these children's books, but if we're going to keep them, we also have to be willing to talk through them. Mm-hmm. If we're not willing to do that, then I'm fine with them being pulled. Yeah, That would be my general perspective. Yeah, I think I would largely agree. I, I do see a bit of a difference when it comes to Dr. Seuss because I you know these, these books are written at a very, very child level. Yeah. So when you have a five-year-old or a six-year-old who's learning how to read, I see probably less space there to get into the into the imagery and wrestle with them and be like, what are you seeing here? Is this accurate depiction? Like, what does this tell you about race and our culture's ideals? It's more like they're just trying to learn how to read. And so it's like, here, kid, go read this book. Right. When you have something like Huck Finn or To Kill a Mockingbird, like, I'm very not in favor of us banning those books. Like, I think that's that's the space you enter in and talk and say, hey, like, why are people depicted this way? What does this tell us about our culture? What does it tell us about our past? What do we do with this? And, like, once you're reading at that level, I think the, you need to have the conversation. But I would say when you're reading Dr. Seuss, I think stereotypical racist mm-hmm. imagery is actually pretty problematic in children's literature. Yeah, yeah. And, and that could be. Um, and I definitely think there would need to be some discernment, even with which children. Because some, I mean, even in a middle school perspective, some kids – they can't even handle talking about race because all they're going to do is slur and all kinds of things. And it's, it's not even going to not work. Um, but I did include a link of a teacher that was working with her own child who's five and working through the book and different connections she was able to make just from, Mm -hmm. from that. So perhaps one-on-one would be the best way to do it. It might, it would definitely be tricky depending on your classroom if you tried to address it as a whole class. And I think that's what scares teachers a lot of times Mm -hmm. because you usually do have that student or two that shamelessly will drop, racial slurs um, and derogatory comments and, towards you know, people I mean, groups. I chuckle, but that's the kind of thing that in in our just charged era, I mean, you can lose your job quite quickly. Right, yeah. right. And that's why, yeah, that's why. And that's why people just aren't willing. It's like, I don't make enough money to get into that conversation. No, yeah. no, not, a, not, a, not at all. Um, but yeah, I, I, I found it kind of fascinating. Um, I found the hot takes were typically unsatisfying and kind of lame because um, it wasn't necessarily they were getting canceled whatever else they made a business decision um and they didn't even cancel all of his books it was six of them yeah and i did find it was interesting digging into some of dr seuss's history he actually made himself a lot of enemies in america because he was fairly anti-american during some of the world wars um things like that because of different treatments of the jews whatever else so Hmm. i don't know he made some people upset back then too so he may have just been good at ruffling feathers but it does seem that he did push back consistently against um, anti-Semitic language and action, um, anti uh, or anything. uh, He pushed back at different race issues in America and tried to move them forward in that. So I think it would be um, a false conclusion to come to that Dr. Seuss is a racist um, based off of what it seems like his life was like, although there may be a few books that he did not, um, in which they may have been portrayed in, derogatory or incomplete ways yeah you know one thing i've heard excuse me i think i've heard you <laughs> reference um james k smith saying this and i know i've heard dr Warner say this here on campus um 
our culture is just devoid of grace. Like mm-hmm. there just is no grace. And I, right. I was recently listening to this podcast. I think the podcast is called Vox. And it's, oh, yeah. it's not the Vox that I think of. Ezra Klein? More like a pop culture thing. I don't oh, know. oh. It's not that one. Okay, Mike Erie. Yeah, 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 that. You said Mike Erie? Yeah. Yeah. And I also think they might be changing the name soon, so good luck finding it. But I think it's called the Vox Podcast, and they were going through the Sermon on the Mount. And um, the one part that Jesus talks about is judging, and judging not lest you be judged. And right. I just found their conversation really helpful. Um, kind of conclusion that they came to, which I think is, is very valid, is that we're allowed to judge ideas and principles and actions, but we're not allowed to judge people. And, I, and that's just the grace that's lacking in, right. in our culture today. You're allowed right. to call books and works and ideas, you know, bad and bigoted and racist, mm-hmm. but you're not allowed to to condemn people. And I, I don't think that we uh, we maintain that distinction very well. We're very quick to write people off or just condemn them. You know, one part in the whole, it's all condemn them the whole right. thing. But yeah, we I need think- to be careful because we're we're really not we're really not given the ability or the authority to judge people. Yeah. That's something we're, we're not supposed to do. We get to judge ideas and, and make good decisions, but judging people is, is God's thing, not ours. Right. And we're all going to put our lines in the sand somewhere. We're all going to have our boundary markers somewhere. If you're conservative or liberal, you have them somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think taking that, that into mind that there is going to be a level of subjectivity in which we need to just be in conversation with each other and, and have, you know, debate. Yeah. And he did debate even about what the best ways are to move um, these forward. But a lot of the cheap takes that I saw <laughs> from both the right and the left were just really lame. And I didn't feel like even helped the conversation at all. So Shocking. Yeah. Could it be unhelpful takes? Is that all we have for today? Was there anything else? Not really. I think that was it. Um, if... If there is another episode, it will mean that um, we've survived another week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lord willing, that will be the case. We are um, looking at some fun ways to wrap up this season. I don't know. We've probably got like about four weeks left. That was a guess. Roughly. It sounds like uh, April 14th, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, right around a month. So, um, yeah, we hope you guys keep listening. Um, we're not really sure what's going to happen to the podcast after this season. This might be the fourth and final season. Mm-hmm. We have some some fun ideas about how we're going to wrap it up. So look forward to seeing you again then. Um, keep an eye out on the TFC Eagle Radio Instagram page. Cool stuff happening there. We've, get, we've had two giveaways so far and looking to do a third one coming up. So hope you guys enter and are able to win. Thanks for sticking around and listening and being a part of this, and we'll see you again next week.